You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Uh, it's been interesting. Over the last couple of months, since uh, everything has opened up, uh, since a lot of the COVID restrictions have been dropped, it's been wonderful to get together. It's been wonderful to fellowship together as believers in Christ. Churches across the Commonwealth and across the country are opening up to people coming in and worshiping together as one. But one very interesting thing has been happening, and I've been talking to different pastors, and they're saying the same thing. And what they're noticing is, is that no matter how good they preach or how good the worship is, people are just not responding anymore to the moving of the Spirit and coming forward and receiving prayer or responding to the message. And we're all a little baffled at that, but I think I might have a theory as to why that is. For the last year and year plus, we've been told, um, stay away from each other, right? We've been told, you know, keep six feet away from one another. Uh, Don't go to places that are crowded, you know? Uh, And certainly don't talk to somebody without a mask on. And so what's happened is, in the the, the desire for safety, what's happened is, is that we've become guarded and careful. Uh, even to the point that we've, we're comfortable watching from home and there really isn't a need for us to come out to church anymore. But we're missing out on one of the beautiful things that, that Jesus created the church for, which is the fellowship of believers one with another and to be able to pray for one another, to be able to encourage one another. So I think the last year's worth of COVID restrictions have kind of given us a reluctance to respond to the message and a reluctance to respond to times where we can experience and encounter God's presence. Now, I have to give, you know, say this, is that about midway through last year, we said, okay, you know, we're going to start praying for people again at the altar. And if people wanted to come forward for prayer, they could come and receive prayer. But there are many churches that still haven't done that. And now there's a desire and a yearning for that to happen again. And my desire is that we would see people respond to God's word and God's spirit amongst us. We're an Assemblies of God church. Now, if you're not familiar with the the background and the heritage of the Assemblies of God, it's always been a Pentecostal, charismatic background. We've always been a, a denomination and a church that's been about responding to the preaching of the word of God and responding to the moving of God's spirit. It's a practice that's as old as our fellowship itself. Um, I remember at times in my formative years, I remember being a teenager in a very large church and the times of worship and the times around the altar were, were powerful times. And I remember many times, both young and old, men and women, children and teenagers going to the altar and encountering God there. And why that was important is because as I got older into my older years, you know, it wasn't just about teaching because teaching can only take you so far. Good teaching is important. Solid doctrine is important. But if you've never encountered the spirit of the living God, then there's times where you can start to question teaching and preaching and things that you've heard. And when I got into my college years, when I got into my, my adult years, you didn't have to, I didn't have a moment of crisis of faith where I said, you know, I'm not sure if God's real or not. Because I encountered him at his altar. 
I encountered him in those times of prayer, those Sunday night meetings where the, the only agenda was to seek God. The times where we would worship and the presence of God would fall. And so I encountered him. I experienced him. I, I, I knew that he was real. So you could try and convince me otherwise that God doesn't exist. You could try and tell me, you know, you're your doctrine, your teaching doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter because I met the one who wrote it. So you can tell me whatever you want. It's kind of like hearing somebody else talk about somebody, but if you know that person, go, you know, I know that's not true about him, right? Because there's relationship there. Where you've lost that. And my message today is not to create nostalgia. I'm not looking for us to go 30 years in the past and try and recreate some of those moments. I'm not trying to sing the same songs, do the same things, and try and recreate the same experience. What I'm trying to get the current church, this generation, into is the same attitude that was had back then, that whenever God was going to be here, whenever the church was open for times of worship and prayer and praise, that we were going to be there because we never knew when God was going to move. And we actively expected it and desired it. There's times where we've had great services and someone said, oh, I wish I had known I would have been there as if, as if God somehow announces when he's going to come and when he's not going to come. The point is this, is that if we were there anyway, we wouldn't have missed it in the first place. So my heart's desire today as your pastor is that we would create a responsiveness to the Spirit of God that when there's an opportunity to receive from Him, even if no one else comes, I'm going to come. Even if no one else prays, I'm going to pray. Even if no one else raises their hands in worship, I'm going to raise my hands in worship. Why? Because it's not, I don't care about where everybody else is with their walk with God. I'm concerned with my time with God. And my time with him is important. And my time with him is valuable. When I looked at the ministry of Jesus, I see him calling people to respond. When I see the ministry of Jesus, he always had action words accompanying his teaching. Opportunities where people would apply their faith. And at times when you read what Jesus says, you think to yourself, those things are cruel. Says to the man with a withered hand, he says, I know you can't stretch your hand out, but stretch forth your hand. Now it's easy for them to go, well, you, Lord, you know I can't do that. But he just kind of stay there. But the man with the withered hand says, He stretched forth his hand and it made, was made well. To the man who is at the pool of Bethesda, uh, who had been lame for 40 years, he's laying there waiting to, for healing or death. And Jesus comes along and says, take up your mat and walk. It's like, excuse me, Jesus, I've been crippled for 40 years. Can't exactly take up my mat and walk. But he heard the words of Jesus and said, I'm going to do that, and he was healed. The ten lepers came to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, go and show yourself to the priest. And while they were going, that's when they were made well. When he, Jesus spoke to his disciples, when he called them at the Sea of Galilee, he just simply said, come and follow me. And they didn't ask for a job description. They didn't ask for what's the benefits package. They didn't ask, well, how long? They just got up and went. And their lives are in the annals of history. The apostles, the ones who, who worked 
powerful miracles and changed the world and preached the gospel. These are men that were touched by the master's hand and anointed for his work. And all they simply did was listen to what Jesus said and did it. So I call us today the idea of responding to the invitation. There's a chapter where Jesus uh, speaks about the cost of being a disciple. He talks about, you know, uh, wedding feasts. He talks about being humble. He talks about all those things. And one of those chapters is Luke chapter 14. If you'll turn with me there in your Bibles, we'll look at it together. Luke chapter 14, we'll be looking at the middle of the chapter. Now this chapter is about a master's feast or dinner, but it also has a parallel in another gospel, Matthew 22. It varies considerably as far as the overall uh, direction of the parable goes, but it's, it's similar in the sense that both in here and there, He compels his servants to go out into the highways and byways and compel people to come in. And there's also some similarities between this and the way that Jesus called his disciples and some gave excuses and reasons. So we see that here. But I'm calling this the king's invitation. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. And we know the context is, uh, even though it says feast, it's a wedding feast, because in the previous verses, Jesus did talk about decorum, and how to act at a wedding and not taking the highest seat but taking a lower seat and allowing someone to invite you and to, you know, raise your profile and have you go up higher. So we're talking in that context. So we could safely assume that this would be in the same idea of a wedding feast. So in verse 16, Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are ready. I want you to take note there that those who had been invited, this was not like the first time they heard about it, but they had been invited previously. Verse 18, But they with all with one accord began making excuses. The first saying to him, I've bought a piece of ground, and now I must go see it. So I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought a five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. And I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. So that servant came back and reported those things to the master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant did this and said, Master, it is done as you have commanded But there is still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my supper. Now the purpose of this parable is is this, is that Jesus is illustrating the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, or the religious Pharisees of his day, and the outcasts of society. So there was clearly two sets of people, one who heard the invitation and decided not to come, and that there were those who were not invited but later were included in the blessings of God's kingdom. And we understand that to mean that the the Jewish people, by way of prophecy and the, the words of the Old Testament, were expecting the Messiah to come. They were expecting someone to be their deliverer. But then when Jesus came, even though he fulfilled a lot of those prophecies and signs, they rejected his message entirely. In other words, the invitation went out 
by virtue of the prophets, and they were willing to be a part of it. But when the time came to encounter Jesus, they rejected him wholesale. The other part of it is that there are those who were not part of the invited crowd, uh, the, the poor, the lame, the blind. And that's not only just the people that are uh, on the outside of society, which Jesus, if you look at his ministry, he did minister to the sick. He ministered to the less fortunate. He didn't minister to the rich and powerful very often. He often ministered to the common, everyday people that weren't on the inside track of being religious and what it meant. And we also understand, too, that the Gentiles, eventually going out to the highways and byways outside of the city, they would eventually hear the message of Christ. There's also the picture of the coming wedding banquet. You know, the book of Revelation talks about that uh, when uh, Christ returns, that there'll be a great marriage supper of the Lamb. What that means is that there'll be, the church will be gathered together with Christ in heaven, and they will enjoy the blessings of the kingdom of God forevermore. So there's a picture of the coming judgment as well. But what I want us to get a hold of here is the idea of invitations. And the first thing I want you to know about invitations is invitations are meant to be responded to. If you get one across your doorstep, it's probably meant for you to come to. And now I'm not talking about the one that the fake realtor sends to you. You know, the one that looks like a written card that they care about. And you're like, oh, what's this card that came in the mail as the realtor saying, hey, we want to sell your house. And you're like, I'm not even planning to sell my house. So, like, I don't welcome this. That's not the invitation we're talking about. But if you get an invitation to a graduation party, an invitation uh, to a dinner gathering, a going away party, a retirement party, or a wedding, what the invitation is indicating is you were thought of and your presence is requested because the host wants you to be there. So I want you to think about this in a spiritual context as well, is that when Christ brings the invitation to us to be part of his kingdom, the reason why the invitation came to you is because he wants you to be there. Because there's a blessing for you to receive. That at the king's table, at the master's table, there is joy. At the master's table, there's celebration. At the master's table, there is an abundance and there is no lack. That's what he has in store for us who respond to the invitation. So anyone who puts on a party or a wedding, there's great thought that goes into it. There's an investment that goes into it. Um, There's consideration. They need a head count, and they want to know how many people are coming, and they they estimate a certain dollar amount for each person to come, and maybe you bring your plus one. Maybe you don't. But that's important to the person that's planning this get-together. And all you have to do is respond. There's no cost involved for it. Am I right? When you get an invitation to go to the graduation party, I mean, it's expected you bring a gift, but not always. You know, when you go to the, the, the wedding, you know, you bring a gift because you want to honor that person, but you didn't have to pay to get in. All that was needed of you was your time and your yes. And many times we miss out on the things of God because we're not willing to take our time and we're not willing to give God our yes to what he wants to do in our midst. But I want you to think about that today, is that God has the kingdom of heaven in store for us, all the blessings of the kingdom of heaven, and he invited you that you would partake of it. 
Ephesians 1.8 talks about that uh, he has prepared a glorious inheritance in Christ for those who believe. On the other side of that invitation is every blessing that God has for us. Invitations are not meant to be wasted. They're not meant to be thrown away and ignored. They're not meant to be, uh, there's not meant to be hesitation. There's an RSVP and there's usually a date on it. And if you're like me, you tend to put it somewhere and you say, I need to make sure I do that. But then later you RSVP like after the date, like, ah, I'm going to do that now. And it's like the date's already passed and you're like, I guess I'm not going. But respond to it right away. It's not meant to be shuffled off somewhere. It's not meant to be ignored. It's not meant to be thrown away, but to be accepted because room has been made for us. Everyone sitting in this room today, God has made room for you at his table through his son, Jesus Christ, and all you have to do is respond to it and pull up the chair to the table and be willing to receive the blessings that he has. Salvation, forgiveness, the baptism of the Spirit, the leading of, feeling of God's presence, the leading of His Spirit in all occasions, that's accessible and available for you as a brother and sister in Christ, as a believer in the Lord. All you have to do is just pull up to the table and partake of what He has for you. But to accept the invitation is about making room for God in your schedule. The king wants us to be there so that we can celebrate with him and spend time with him. Invitations are meant to be responded to. Secondly, excuses cause us to miss out on what God has for us. Excuses cause us to miss out on the things that God has for us. Verses 17 through 20, And the master sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go see it. You must have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. And I have asked to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore cannot come. So when it comes time... For the feast, the servants went out to let people know who had accepted the invitation that the time has now come. So this is important because this is not like people showing up and knocking on your door. Hey, would you like to come to dinner? Hey, would you like to go to a wedding? Would you like to go to a wedding? Like, I'm kind of busy today. But all that those that the servant went to had already received an invitation well in advance. And they had already said Yes. You know, sometimes your mouth can say yes, but your circumstances say no. Sometimes you, you say yes because you want to, but you know you're going to probably back out of it anyway. They had been invited ahead of time, so it's not like this was a surprise. The RSVP did have a date on it as far as when it was going to happen. So the, the excuse that's being given here is, are not valid excuses because they already knew what was going to come. Instead of coming one by one, those invited began to send their regrets. Can you imagine that? Sending regrets on the day of the wedding feast. If you're putting together a wedding and you send out invitations so you know who's coming, for the right amount of food, the right amount of uh, hall space, the number of chairs you need, you know, all of these things are at a significant cost to you. And for people to respond to the invitation but not come can be both frustrating and disappointing. I talk to people who have, like, graduation parties and 
you know, a bunch of people plan to come, but only half show up. Well, that's a bit of a problem. That's not only frustrating, but it's also disappointing because I thought you wanted to share this moment with me. I thought you wanted to be there. Let's look at the excuses. Excuses typically are poor excuses. They are poor reasons. The first one says, I bought a field and I must go see it. Anyone see the problem with this one? I bought a field and I must go look at it. You mean you didn't look at it before you bought it? No. Now, if you understand the customs of the Middle East, any land transaction takes a really long time to carry out. Because sometimes land is left in the names of a certain family and from generation to generation it's handed off. So there is no short transaction for buying land. And you certainly don't buy it without looking at it. So what was this? This was just an excuse. The next one says, I've bought five pair of oxen and I must go try them out. Now, if you understand how many that is, you would see that that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Because five pairs of oxen is ten oxes to pull his plow. And he's saying, well, I, did, you know, I haven't tested them out yet, but I bought them. That's like saying, okay, you bought a car without test driving it or even getting inside it. That's the equivalent thereof of this here. It's nonsense. Considering we're talking about an agricultural community where farming was such a big thing and the only thing that you had to plow your fields was cattle. It was important that those cattle were healthy and that they were strong. So for him to say, like, you know, I bought these things, I bought 10 of them. I can understand if you bought one without looking at it, sight unseen, but 10, you bought 10. Yes, I bought 10. And you have to go test them out. Yes, please excuse me. The third one said, well, I just got married and I cannot come. And you're saying, well, pastor, sir, surely you can agree with this one, that there are times where, like, you, you can't come because you got home obligations. But remember that this gentleman received the invitation when he knew he was going to get married anyway. So he received it before he was married. And that, you know, he knew the date when he was going to go to the wedding. And so he said, okay, well, I can come. I will go. And when he gets married, it's not as though he couldn't come. It's not like going to battle where, like, you know, you can't take your wife with you to the wedding. I'm sure on the invitation there was a plus one somewhere that he could have brought his wife with him. So that wasn't a legitimate excuse either. Billy Sunday, noted evangelist from the 1920s, whose preaching resulted in such a change in the country that ushered in the Prohibition era, said this, that an excuse is a skin of a truth stuffed with a lie. I'll say it again. An excuse is a skin of a truth stuffed with a lie. It might sound legitimate on the surface, but at its heart, it's untrue. Truth about excuses is that many times we don't want to do what we said we were going to do, and so we find a semi-legitimate reason to get out of it. We do that, don't we? Sometimes we agree to something in enthusiasm, and then we realize what's involved, and we go, I don't want to do that. So you sign up for track and field, and they have... Uh, practices at 7 in the morning on a Saturday, and you don't want to get up and go. So you make an excuse, I'm sick, I don't feel good. Or COVID, COVID's the excuse for everything. Your business is failing, COVID. Things are late, COVID. You can't go to work today, COVID. 
Yeah, everything has become a reason for everything. It's become like your default excuse. But the point is this, is that if we don't want to do something, we'll find a way to wiggle out of it, and we'll find a a semi-legitimate reason for it. But the truth is, if we look behind the surface, there are times we recognize that that's actually not true at all. There's times I've even heard it from you, where excuses aren't really excuses. They're not really reasons. There's just someplace else you'd rather be, something else you'd rather be doing. And that's okay, but can I encourage living hope to do something for you? Be honest. Be transparent. There are times I drop the ball with people. I fail them. I'm not talking about a huge moral failure, but sometimes I don't follow through. And later I'll say, you know what? I apologize. I did not keep good track of my schedule. I apologize. I got involved in other things, and I didn't follow through. If we're just honest with each other, I believe our church will be better. Instead of trying to make up something that sounds spiritual or trying to make up something that sounds semi-legitimate when it's clear to everyone involved that it's not true. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 5, 37. He says, anything less than this is from the devil himself, from the evil one. Why? Because we're lying. Or if we make a commitment we don't follow through, then we're actually doing a disservice to the Lord. Jesus said, stop swearing by oath and saying, I, I swear I will do this. I swear by the temple. I swear by the gold in the temple that I will do what I am promising to do today. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. You don't have to prove it to people by making these elaborate claims. Instead, just simply do it. If you mean to do it, be a person of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And honestly, sometimes there's times you have to say no. And that's okay, and people should understand that. Some make excuses. As sad as those excuses sound, what's equally sad are the excuses we make to why we can't respond to the preaching of the Word and the moving of the Spirit. I want you to think about this, because maybe we've used these before. Sometimes when it comes to seeking God or following His invitation, sometimes because I don't have the time, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I would take time to pray in the morning, but I'm just too busy. I would take time to respond and come to the altar, but, you know, it's getting late, and I've got some yard work to do. I would respond, but, you know, I've just got other things going on. Scriptures tell us, seek first the kingdom, and everything else will be added unto us. You say, well, some people say, well, I don't have to go to church. I can worship from home. And yes, that's true. You can worship from home. And maybe if you're on vacation, you're worshiping and watching us today. That's really awesome. And we we appreciate that you watch from home. But we've actually developed an entire uh, culture within the church now where people say, it wasn't that, like, I could watch church so that I could still be involved in church. Now, and, and looking forward to going back, there's no looking forward to going back. And we miss out on serving, and we miss out on giving, and we miss out on fellowship. We miss out on discipleship and growth. Hebrews 10, 25 and 26 says, Do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, as some are in habit of doing, but consider how we can spur one another on to love and good works. Some say, well, I'll do it later, but scriptures tell us today is the day of salvation. We shouldn't put off till tomorrow what we can do today because we never know what tomorrow holds. Another excuse for not coming is, I'm not good enough. 
I need to be perfect to be accepted by God. God doesn't want to see me because I'm, I'm sinful. I messed up. I might even sin on the way here. And God doesn't want me to, to come forward and to, and to pray and to, and to worship. And he doesn't want me to do that. And the idea is this. You don't have to be perfect to come. The reason why you're not perfect is the reason why Jesus came. Even when it talks about the, 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 the parable of the banquet, is that, that when those who were perfect were invited and couldn't come, it says the master, the king, sent out his servants. It says, go to the poor, the lame, the maimed, and the blind, and bring them in. There's a spiritual component, too, that we were once lame, crippled, poor, and blind, but we were once blind, but now we see. For you to say, like, I, I'm not going to go to the front, or I'm not going to receive prayer, or I'm not going to worship or, or uh, spend time with God because I'm not perfect. It's like saying you've got a bleeding head wound, but you're not going to go to the ER because it'll get better on its own. When I'm healthy, I'll go to the hospital. When I'm healthy, I'll go to the doctor. That's foolishness. We are here in this place to meet with God. We are here in this place to encounter and receive from him that which we cannot receive on our own. That which we cannot do for ourselves, God will do. He fills the space in between where we are and to where we need to be. He makes us whole on the inside. We are missing out on that when we check out and when we say, I'm not good enough. Some say, well, I have to, I have to figure this out on my own. You know, that's not God's problem, it's mine. And self-sufficiency is a good thing, but you are never meant to figure it out on your own. You were never meant to try and do this yourself. You know, the scriptures tell us that God is near to the brokenhearted, that there's healing and help for that. The book of James says, if anyone who is in need of wisdom, ask God who gives it freely. Or say, well, God doesn't want to hear my prayers. God doesn't want to hear from me. Why bother? Why trying? I've prayed a number of times and nothing's happened. I've prayed for healing. I've prayed for my, my family's salvation. I've prayed for a change of job, and nothing's happened, so why bother? And I understand your frustration. I understand your brokenness. I understand your, your jaded kind of uh, lack of faith here. But I want to encourage you today that Jesus talked about persistency in prayer, that never giving up in prayer, and to bring us back to a place where we say, you know what? I want to seek God's face. I want to know what he has for me. I want to trust him in this, and I'll keep praying and trusting him, and whatever is good to him, he can do. I don't have to go forward. The altar is for people who have problems. I don't have any problems. Well, first of all, stop lying to yourself. That's number one. And not every time being up front here means you've got problems. And it would be a wonderful thing if a place like the frontier would be a place where you could just come without any concerns about what people are thinking about you, what they have to say about you, but just say, you know, it doesn't matter if they're here for prayer, it doesn't matter if they're here for repentance, it doesn't matter if they're here for healing, they're just here to meet with God, and I'm good with that. And that's a wonderful thing. And that should be something that would be encouraged. I remember being part of one church some years ago, going back almost uh, 20 years, and you know, the uh, associate pastor and his wife went forward to pray together at the altar. And instead of people going, that's great, husband and wife at the altar praying together, instead people gossiped about it. I wonder what they went forward for. I wonder if they're having problems in their marriage. I wonder what's going on there. 
And the Spirit can't move in those sort of situations because we've got the wrong heart and the attitude. We shouldn't judge the person that comes and kneels and prays. We shouldn't judge the person that comes to seek God's face. In fact, we should say, I hope I am like them someday, that I have the courage to get up there and to go and, and come before the Lord no matter what, not caring whether I'm being looked at or not. Sometimes you say, well, I want to go forward, but you know, I'm not sure I believe in some of this stuff. You know, this laying on of hands and this healing stuff and the speaking in tongues, and I'm not sure I believe in that. We were there once too, by the way, just so you know, those of us who experienced it. We're like, I'm not so sure about that until it hit us. And then that changed everything. Until God baptized us in the Spirit. Until God uh, changed us inside. Until we felt that unspeakable joy that only the Spirit gives. And that changed our perspective on things. When you, God heals you, you're all of a sudden, I don't feel that pain anymore when I do this. I don't feel afraid anymore with the things that are going into my life. When you encounter, it didn't matter if you weren't sure of it at the beginning. When you encounter God and meet with God, it changes everything. But instead, we're saying, well, let him do something. Arms folded, head kind of cocked sideways, kind of a self-affirming grin on our face, like, come on, God, do something. Instead of responding to what the Spirit is saying, instead of responding to the preached Word of God, instead of saying, you know, I'm activating my faith by going forward, and even if you're like, I don't even know, maybe I'll lift a hand, maybe I'll pray, until God hits you and you're on the floor, then it's all of a sudden different. Then it all of a sudden becomes very real in those moments. But when you encounter those moments, it wasn't like God saying, I told you so. He's saying, son, daughter, I love you so much that you would experience something that you can't get anywhere else. That you're loved dearly by God and that he's ministering to you in a way that you've never experienced before. Thirdly, respond quickly to the invitation when it comes. Verses 21 through 24. Every invitation has an RSVP date on it, a time you need to respond by. It's not enough just to say yes, but your yes must be accompanied by movement. It must be accompanied by your presence. Your presence is requested. And when those who the master invited didn't come, he invited someone else, people he knew would respond. Listen, you can be here, you can be a Christian for 30, 40 years. And maybe the days of God moving in your life are just stories from the past where you talk about the good old days of when God used to move and when we had revival services at such and such a church under such and such a pastor. Why are we not talking about the current? Why are we not seeing the current today? Because at a certain point we said, I've experienced it. I've seen it. I'm satisfied. I'm good. I don't need to do it anymore. Or I've grown. And I'm dignified now. And I understand the doctrine. Consider this. I want to wake you up for a moment here. That the days where God touched you by his spirit to the point that you were passionate and on fire for him. At what point did the fire go out when you learned so much to make yourself smart and wise that you decided you didn't need that again when that was the thing that lit the flame in the first place? We need to get a hold of that in our hearts and in our lives because God never intended for you. Listen, I'm, I'm going to gloriously save you in a dynamic sort of way, but I want you to live a boring, vanilla Christian life. 
That's not what he saved you for. He didn't save you so he could sit here and then just simply be content. He saved you so that he would change you and transform you into the image of his son. Not just in the image of his son by virtue of character, but by virtue of power. I will say it one more time for the four of you who are listening to me today. He changed you not just so that you could become the image of his son by virtue of his character, but by virtue of power. So that when they encounter you, they don't just see, oh, he's kind of a nice guy and he looks like Jesus. But when they encounter you, they encounter the power of Christ at work within you. So funny, too. Can I just tell you that, like, okay, I'm usually a friendly guy. I'm just, I get like this. That's, they talk about the anointing grimace. You're kind of like, mmm. You know, it's like, <laughs> It's like when God's moving, he's like, man, he's just, he's just, is he mad at me? Did I do something wrong? No, I just, I'm just feeling that sense in my heart that the Lord just wants us to get a hold of it so that we don't make excuses any longer. Verse 21 says, so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring here the poor, the maimed, the lame and blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you have commanded, and there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my supper. And he says, Compel them to come in. This is a, a, there's a missions focus to this verse. Listen, go out, and whoever will listen, bring them in so that my house may not be empty but filled, so that there might be the sounds of life in my house, and it might not be an empty place. It's a, God's desire is that he wants to bring people into salvation. He wants to be, bring people into his church to experience the goodness and the presence of God. Here's this king with a banquet hall full of food, and he's not going to cancel his plan, so he tells the servant to go in the city, bring the poor, lame, and blind to his banquet that they would eat and partake on the blessings that others missed out on. And so when he's calling us, he's saying, okay, listen, here's the invitation. And the invitation goes out to all of us, but there are those who ignore it. But if we ignore it, he'll just go to people that want to hear. You ever been in a service where God's moving? Someone wants to give a word, but maybe you're that person that wanted to give a word, but you struggled with giving a word in that service. But then later on, somebody else gives a word and it's the exact same thing that they were tell- God was telling you to say. He found someone else. It's like, my word needs to go out. I'm going to look for someone who's willing. God's looking for the willing because here he has this wonderful blessing in store for us. And if we say, okay, well, I don't want that, there's still a table set. There's still a hall that's open. There's still a seat that's available. And what Jesus was saying to the Jews is that if you won't accept this message, I'll go to the people that will. I'll go to the poor, the outcast, the people on the outside of life. I'll go to them, and they'll respond. I'll even bring this word to the Gentiles, and even if the Jews reject it, they'll come in, and they'll receive. And we should look at that, and we can say, like, I don't want to miss what God has for me. I don't want to miss out on an opportunity to experience the felt presence of God because I'm reluctant to do that or I don't want to be judged or I don't want to go forward or I can't be bothered with the time 
or we struggle with the things that we struggle with. Meanwhile, we could see other people receive from God powerfully and mightily. And then later we, we kind of sit and say to ourselves, well, God, why don't you do that in my life? God, why, why don't I see you do those things in my situation? Why aren't you healing me? Why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you blessing me? Why am I not experiencing that? And the answer to this is because you didn't come. You didn't come forward. You didn't, you didn't respond. When we worship with our arms folded, when we care less about what happens, when, when the time comes for, to receive prayer for our situation, instead of just figuring it out in our mind that we'll be smart enough somehow if we think through it enough, that we'll figure out what we need to do. But the reality is, how many times have you sat, thought about it and tried to figure it out and you've worked through the scenario time and time again and then finally you decide to pray about it and God says, don't do any of that. Don't do any of that. And he says, do this instead. And you're like, why didn't I think of that before? Because you don't have the mind of Christ in that situation. That's why. God wants us to respond, not to judge us, not to condemn us, but consider the picture. I have this table set for you. I have the blessings of heaven ready for you. And you can sit in my presence. Consider that. The king says, I want to invite you for dinner. CEO of your company says, I want to invite you for dinner. Someone important invites you to dinner, and and they say, I just want you to be with me. You know, the idea of us being in the presence of royalty. I'm not talking about Queen Elizabeth. The presence of royalty, we're in presence of God himself, that it's not just what's, well, I'll go to the wedding, what's being served. It's not even about that. It's about we get to be at the same table as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We get to be at the same table as God Almighty. And that whenever we come on a Sunday morning, the table's set. The silverware is laid out. When we, when we pray, when we worship, we are setting the table. And when we set the table, it means we're ready to eat. But it's not us who are bringing the food. It's God who brings the food. He brings the bread of life. He brings the water of his spirit. He brings the fruit of the spirit. He brings the things that we need in our life. And he's the one that feeds us. But to walk out of here on any given Sunday without at least somehow touching God is like saying, I'm not hungry, I'm good. May God help us to always be hungry. That even when we're not eating, listen, I know what it's like to be passionate for God and not always be consistent. Do you know what I'm talking about? Stop yelling at me. (laughs) I know it's like to be passionate for God, but being inconsistent. Wish I could say I get up every morning at 5 a.m. and pray, and I pour through the scriptures. It doesn't always happen. Some days I need that second or third cup of coffee. But we shouldn't go, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pursue anymore because I'm not great at it. How about we pursue whenever we can? How about we make it a priority to us so that this is, Lord, I want to receive from you. I want to hear from you. I want to receive a touch from you because I want to be in your presence, Lord. I never want to miss out on what God has for me just because I made excuses and reasons why I couldn't. I don't want to sit back and see everyone else around me receive from the Lord instead of me. You know, that's what the devil would want you to do. Miss out on God's blessings on your life by making you think you don't need it. Or worse, it's been so long since you've experienced a touch from God that you don't remember what it's like and you don't even miss it. God help us. It's 
been so long you've received this touch from God that you don't remember what it's like and you don't even miss it. God help us that we should always be hungry for him and desire him. We've lost what it means to respond to the Holy Spirit. What does that feel like when the Spirit's speaking? I can tell you what it's feeling. You feel like either you want to run to the front and pray or run out the back door screaming because you're like, either God's going to get a hold of me and deal with me with some things or I just can't handle the heat. Or the presence of God comes on you and you just feel very emotional at that moment. And you just feel like, you know, I'm crying and I don't know why, but I just feel this warmth, this presence from God that just touches my heart. What does the, the moving of the Spirit look like? The moving of the Spirit feels like peace, where you feel either the weight lifted off your shoulder or you feel like the room is thick with the presence of God to the point that you're like, God's here. And if you can't sense it, I, I don't, you must be numb if you can't experience that God's here in our midst. And there's a drawing to the Lord. There's a desire for what he wants. There's a desire to, to come close to him and experience him. But we need to recognize when that moment is happening that whether it's in worship or in prayer or in the preaching of the word, we've got to respond to it. We've forgotten the importance of responding to the Lord's invitation, whether it's worship or the word or in prayer. We've forgotten what it's like to touch heaven, and we need to return to it. We need to get back to the altar. The altar always has and always has been in Scripture a place of sacrifice. I'm laying things down, and I'm sacrificing. I'm giving up things for you. It's a place of humility. When you come to the altar, you kneel before the Lord. Now, the altar is usually referred to as this kind of front area of the church. In the past, it's been called the altar because we lay everything down before the Lord. But it's a place where you kneel, and you're humble before the Lord. It's a place of repentance where you say, God, I'm sorry for what I haven't been, but I know you still want to see me anyway. So, Lord, forgive me for what I've done wrong. Forgive me for being lukewarm. Forgive me for not desiring you the way I should or following you like the way I should. It's a place of forgiveness. And when we come, God meets us there. It's a place where the Holy Spirit moves and we experience his touch. It's a place where we need to slow down and spend time with God, with others seeking him as well. Instead of looking at the time go. Well, I'll wait till the song's over, and then I'll go. If God doesn't move by then, well, we'll just leave it at that. But spending time with God with no time limit, no agenda. So what do we need to do with that? How should we respond? We say, well, I need to be feel like God's moving in order to respond. No. Did the people who were healed feel like they needed People that were healed by Jesus, did they feel like they were being healed? Or did they just hear and respond? When the disciples followed Jesus, did they feel like, hang on. Or did they just hear the word and respond? So how should we respond? In other words, be the first to respond. It's time to worship. We lift a hand and we praise him. Say, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. You might pray. You might just start to thank God. You might be able to, you might start praying in the spirit. It's responding to God. I don't like this song. It's not for you anyway. It's for the Lord. 
granted, there's some rough ones this morning. I'm sorry. But when it's time to worship, worship. When it's time to pray, like, God, praying for somebody, like, God, if it was your request, pray for it like it was your request. When it's time to receive prayer, come forward for prayer. When the altars are open to, to spend time with the Lord, spend time with the Lord, not worrying about the time frame, not worrying about what kind of coffee is being served at coffee hour or what kind of conversation you're going to have. A conversation with God is more important than any other conversation you can have in that hallway. So do you believe that today? Do you hear my heart today as the worship team comes forward again? That our desire would be that the moving of God's Spirit and the touch from Him would not be past tense, but present tense. And that He would break us out of a place where we feel like, you know, I'm good. And instead of saying, okay, well, if God wants to do something, He can do something from where I'm seated. To saying, I'm going to respond to the message. I'm going to respond to His Word. I'm going to respond to the worship. I'm going to respond to His Spirit. And today, when we end the service today, there's no agenda here. There's not going to be people that are going to lay hands on you and pray for you. It's just a time for you to spend time with God. Time for you to spend time with Him and worship Him. Time for you to bring things before Him in prayer and seek His face. It's time for you to, you know, maybe get some things right with God. And no one's going to bother you on that but people might want to pray with one another. That's a wonderful thing, too. But we're going to open this up for God to move amongst us and give him the opportunity. My prayer is for you is that he'll respond. Because the king's invitation requires a response, and he wants you to be there. He wants and requests your presence. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.